We've been talking about identity and image. So if you haven't listened to the last few, um, we started off with Joseph kicking off the new year. He was given a coat of many colors, right? Uh, Which changed his image. Realistically, it, it was where and who he was in his heart, the dreams that God was laying on him. But if you think about it, Joseph put on this coat of many colors, and the Bible says that his brothers despised him for it because they knew that his dad gave it to him because he was loved more. So, I mean, how about, why don't we just go ahead and paint a target on our backs, right? Like, if there was ever any question, how many of you are the favorite in your family? You know you're the favorite. Sorry, I'm sweaty. Okay, some of you unequivocally, I am the favorite. Did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> Your sister said she's the favorite. But, and I think that how you fall in the family, how many of you are mom's favorite? How many, how many of you are dad's favorite? Okay, all right. So it, it can be like, you know what I mean? We can get the different dynamic there depending. But um, the bottom line is his dad just basically came out and said it like, Joseph's my favorite, you know, Uh, and uh, it it caused problems. And so my point was that the world is looking at us as children of God. That can that will come with favor. I I saw a quote. um, I think it was a couple weeks ago. I think my wife actually saw it and sent it to me. But it said, "Those who follow Jesus, favor follows." And I don't necessarily mean that like prosperity, right? It just means favor. It means that. You can go through tough times and still feel loved, still feel, still feel perspective, still have understanding. And I just, I, I want you to know that the, the world, and when I say that, that's a term for all those who don't know Jesus, right? They don't have perspective. They have to rewrite the, the process, so to speak, and find a different way to cope with their feelings, Whereas if you have a biblical Christian worldview, we have a filter scripture to run everything by. And that filter says that you're loved and that you're cherished and that no matter what you're going through, God has your back. And not only does he have your back, he's ordering your steps. It's an amazing thing. So when we see our identity, our image, who we are, and we find who we are in Jesus, that's going to cause some conflict with those in the world. I expounded more upon that in those other two messages. So go back and listen to those uh, messages either on uh, the website for the first one or I sat in my recliner and gave the rest of it on Facebook last week, okay? So go on Facebook and you can find the rest. I'm back in Luke. So go to Luke. I have to pull up the right message here. Uh, Go back to Luke. Luke chapter 9. That's okay. That's what he was watching on YouTube last week. Luke, Luke, Luke 9, verse 10 through 22. So we're back in our text, going verse by verse. And when I, when I jumped back and I thought, okay, I'm going to give one more lesson on identity. When I read this text, I was like, oh my goodness, this is perfect. This is going to really complete uh, our, our study here in the beginning of the year. Trying to give you the reset button trying to give you the understanding of who you are in Jesus, this text is perfect for it. So I'm going to take you on a journey. Luke chapter 9, verse 10 through 22, our next passage, uh, where we left off before Christmas, before our Advent series. And as we jump back in, I just, I hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I hope that right now you're in your heart, in your mind, thinking like, Jesus, show me who I am in you. Give me the peace. 
give me, help me represent you well in my identity as a Christian. I hope that's our prayer. Um, so let, let's go to the text. And if you need a Bible, it's in the back of the pews if you, or on the screen. Or if you have it with you. Um, one of these days we're going to fix that. <laughs> Luke 9 verse 10. I'm going to get there. Awesome. And the apostles, when they returned, told him all that they had done. So remember, the beginning of Acts chapter 9 was when Jesus commissioned them and sent them out. And that's where we left off. He, he, gave, them the, he gave them some special abilities and powers. Does anybody remember what he gave them the power to do? Heal. He gave them the power to heal. Cure diseases, Right? Cast out demons. He gave them those powers. So, in other words, they had watched him do it up to a certain point, and then he cut them loose. So that's where we're picking up the story. Jesus is well into his earthly ministry. He has performed these works, these miracles, and now he's empowered the twelve to go and do it. So we're tracking with the twelve, right? That's who you are. You are now, the twelve has been multiplied. The church uh, that has taken root, who were Jesus' disciples, has multiplied those that are Christ followers, and we can now track with who the apostles, the disciples were. So when we read Jesus is talking to his disciples, that's you and that's, that's me. And, and we can have understanding in this, right? So, that's where we're picking up the stories. And the apostles, when they returned, told Jesus everything that they had done. I mean, can you imagine if, if a Spider-Man says, here, I'm going to give you my powers today. And with great power comes great responsibility. You're Spider-Man for a day. And then you can go be Spider-Man. What would you do? When you got back, what kind of stories would you tell? I mean, this was awesome. I know I'd play tricks on people all day. It would be so awesome. So, so that's the situation. They could heal. Uh, they, they could uh, cast out demons. And, and they came back with some stories. So they explained it to him. Look right there in verse 10. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. It's funny that, I'm just going to walk you through this text, okay? So just stay with me. Be fluid with me. I have a point. We're going to get to the image part. But before we know who we are in Jesus, we have to take the pointers that Jesus gives us. Before he slams us upside the face with truth, he's going to... He's going to teach you there. He's going to lead you there. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. He's going to bring us to that position. And then we're going to have an aha moment at the end, I promise. But it, at this point, they had gone and done ministry. I hope that some of you are, are going to unleash your spiritual giftings at Bethlehem Church and that you're going to go do ministry. Many of you have. Many of you are busy for the Lord. Many of you, uh, you know, the, the old cliche, 10% do 90% of the work. Some of you are already a part of the 10%. And that's why we have volunteer luncheon, because we're trying to grow that 10% to, to at least 50-50. 50% of the church is, is doing and spreading out the, the bulk of the work. But the point is, is these were 12, not that many, going out, doing tons of ministry. And when they got back, we would be... Um, we would be remiss if we missed what Jesus was saying and what he was doing with them. What did he do? Verse 10, he privately took them into a desert place. There's two things that I see here in the beginning that Jesus did with his disciples and then with the multitude that were key and very important to their ministry and, and their ministry longevity. Here's what, here's what he did. They rested. Do you see that? Do you see it in verse 10? 
And the apostles, when they returned, told him of all that he'd done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert belonging to the city called Bethsaida. He said, now that you've done ministry work, now that you're just going full force, we need to rest. Six days the Lord created all that there is, and on the seventh day he what? Rested. When was the last time you took a Sabbath? And I know I'm, I'm not speaking to everyone here. Some of you rest too much. <laughs> I got that one down. You know that? I got it down. I mean, me and Jesus are like this. I've been resting in that desert place for a long time. You're in complete retirement mode. I get it. And, and let, me, let me explain something to you. It's coming. The, the boot is coming. So just for those of you that don't know how to put it in neutral. And listen. Who? Easy, easy. You know how to rest. We all know that. <laughs> listen to me. Tr- this is truth here. If you don't learn to put it in neutral, you're not going to learn how to do ministry. You got, and, and I'm preaching to myself here. When I read this this week, I was like, man, my mind's constantly going 100 miles an hour. Why did they go to a desert place? Because there's nothing there. No phones. Cut the phone off. Turn it off. Cut the social media off. Disconnect. As God empowers you to work, He also has empowered you to rest. Are you resting? Have you been on 24-7 in your marriage and you two haven't figured out how to let each other rest? That's a problem. For many years, I didn't realize that I wasn't helping my wife rest. And there's something about little children that that are going 24-7. We have to learn this thing of rest. That's not the only thing I see. Look at verse 11. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. I'm getting there. He received them. He spake unto them the kingdom of God and healed them that he had that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then the twelve said unto them, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about them and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. Here's what happened. Verse, verse 11, they, they had Jesus and the disciples pegged. The multitude, the crowd, the city. Anybody know why? Anybody know why? Why did they follow him? Come on, this priest. Huh? They not necessarily. Some of them did. Huh? To be healed. They had problems. They had issues. They were hungry. So Jesus took the disciples quickly away into a desert place to rest. But what followed quickly? The crowd. They found them. They had GPS navigation before it even existed. You know what I'm saying? You let anybody give something away for free, and they ain't hiding nowhere. You know what I'm saying? My man's got the hookup. Woohoo! We're getting something. My ch- and this is serious stuff. You know, my child's got a demon. I've had an issue of blood, or, or I've got these problems, or my arm, or my. I mean, Jesus was healing them. So we see here, not only did he rest, we see the resilience of Christ. In those moments, what does rest mean? Rest means a a bodily state characterized by minimal function and metabolic activities. Put it on the, the, the down low. This was crucial, watch, for his disciples, but we see resilience following. Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. This was crucial for the lost, 
the lonely, and the broken. This is important for us to understand that when we rest, we must have the resilience to bounce back. The ability to to say, here they are again, and here comes ministry again, and here's the broken. There's never a shortage of people that need healed. There's never a shortage of people that are hurting. There's never a shortage of those that are oppressed by the devil and his imps of hell. Do you understand? And you have the answer. So you can't stay in a constant state of rest. You need to put yourself in a cycle where you rest and you're resilient. You rest and you're resilient. We can go off and we can go on. And that's what we find. Jesus went into a desert place and He was resting, but they found Him. And He didn't say to them, get out of here. Come on, man, just give me a break. He was ready to go. So He's modeling to His disciples And remember, he rested with who? The disciples. He was resilient with the lost. Those that don't know Jesus don't understand your rest in him. Your rest in him should take place with those that understand him. Some of you are resting with people who don't understand him, and that's why you're not getting a break. You're always on. If you're always on, then it's because you're not around like-minded believers enough. The church is here to coexist. This is our rest. This is our reset. And then we are resilient to go back out and get busy and dig down and make it happen in the muck and mire of the world. But that's the problem. You're resting with the wrong people. They, They don't understand. Can anybody track with that? Rest and resilience. We should be representing, look at verse 12. And when the day, I'm I'm sorry, back up to verse 11. He spake unto them the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. Understand this, we're seeing a pattern. That Jesus was more interested in their heart than their hand. He was more interested on them understanding the kingdom than them being fed. There was an order to his message. And, and you say, why does Pastor Matt do the things he does? And we're, we're not, and you'll hear about it in more of the volunteer meetings. And as we begin to do outreach in the church, there's going to be a method, a way we do outreach. Why? Because we have to make sure that we're putting the message before the methods. The message before the ministering. Before the physical needs. People will come and want those and we should do them. But if we fulfill their physical need without teaching and preaching the kingdom to them, then it's going to be a continuous cycle. So don't miss the way Jesus ministered to them. He preached the kingdom first. The first priority, of, of, the first, uh, priority is the matter of the heart. The second priority is the matter of the hand. Does anybody know what this story is? Does anybody know? Probably one of the most famous it's second to one other miracle. It's the only other miracle that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. What are we about to read? The feeding of the 5,000. That's what's about to happen. You have to get the context here, right? Now, doesn't it make more sense that he was feeding 5,000 from a place of rest? From a place of resilience? We have to take the Bible in its context. Don't rush out to field to feed 5,000. If you haven't rested. If you don't have the proper perspective and resilience to handing them the kingdom first. Listen, these people sought them out. They found him. The multitude found him. 
And it's, it's good to be able to decipher this. Listen to this. This is a tweetable quote here for you. If we can tune the heart to the radio station of the kingdom, the feet will dance into the favor of God. If we can tune the heart, I worked on that one for a while. <laughs> if we can tune the heart to the radio station of the kingdom, the feet will dance into the favor of God. Jesus is trying to teach them about what's coming. Unfortunately, the only people that really got it were the disciples. And we're going to see that in a minute. But the whole point of our outreach, the whole point of our image, is for us to be able to put ourselves, tune our hearts to who Jesus is and the kingdom that's coming. Unfortunately, I feel like we're too focused on this earth and we're not praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keeping it moving. Let's chat about the matters at hand, okay? So we see here a physical matter and a heart matter. The physical matter was their hunger, right? Go to verse, uh, where are we at? 13? Let's go to verse 13. But he said unto them, give ye them to eat. This was Jesus telling his disciples. Now, his disciples said, what does his disciples say? Tell them to what? Tell them to go. Tell the multitude, Jesus, that they need to go to town and find a place where they can stay and where they can eat. We're in a what? Desert place. There ain't no hotel. Motel 6. There ain't no Hampton Inn around here. No Shoney's Buffet. How many remember Shoney's Buffet? Anybody? I think that's down south, maybe. Is that down south? How many remember the Waffle House? Okay, anyway. Uh, I think there's like one in this whole region. Let's see, what, what kind of context could we put it? Golden Corral, that's around here, isn't it? This is, you know, there's no Golden Corral. How many like Golden Corral? Okay, there's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> How many of you like Ecubin? Any of you ever been to Ecubin? Man, you guys need to get out. Iron Rooster? Anybody? Ooh, that got some response. Okay. How many of you are just faithful chain Outback people? Just take me to Outback. Will? Simple man. That's right. McDonald's? Come on! Hashtag McDouble all day! I love me some McDouble. Let's throw in a 20-piece, you know what I'm saying? Just because we can. Uh, His disciples are like, there is no fast food, Jesus. I want you to see this. Think about the context. Jesus had just sent them out to heal people and to cast out demons. How big of a deal would it have been to be like, Here's food. Do you understand? Even the disciples physically touching and healing people. And they still ask Jesus, hey, you know, it's getting late. You better tell them to go get something to eat. Jesus is like, oh my goodness. Take it. Another take. Let's rerun this thing. Come on, guys. Don't you think I can handle it? The chef is in the kitchen. See you guys. Good luck, Savannah. Oh my goodness. She's singing the national anthem today. Look at the text here. I like this. Give ye them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go away and buy meat for all these people. For they were about 5,000 men. So we understand that there were more than 5,000 people there. 5,000 men, that would translate to about 25,000 men, women, and children. Okay. So just simple math, you know, law of average. And he said to his disciples, check this out. Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so. 
and he made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke them and gave to his disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled. And there was taken up from the fragments that remained to them. How many baskets? Twelve baskets. Let, how many think this was a teaching experience for the twelve disciples? And that it wasn't for the multitude? How many of you think that? I think that too. So let's go with that, okay? So if we're going with that idea, what all is he trying to teach? He, I guarantee you, is trying to speak to their hearts by speaking to the multitude's hands. He's fulfilling a physical need for them but a spiritual need for the disciples. So let's talk about the physical first, okay? Here's the physical. These things mattered to Jesus according to verse 13, yes? Verse 13, Jesus had a desire to feed them, yes? Right? Verse 12, these things worried the disciples. They mattered to Jesus, but they worried the disciples, okay? Here's, here, here was Jesus' approach to the issues at hand. He divided the people up into manageable groups. Don't allow yourself to get overwhelmed with the mountain. Just focus on the path. Don't allow yourself to get overwhelmed with the mountain. Just focus on the path that leads to the mountain. But but they found us and there's there's 25,000 of them, Jesus, and there's only 12 of us. How are we going to make this thing happen? Helicopter just went straight up right there. Y'all were like, how how are we going to do this thing? Well, I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. You're going to go feed them. Uh, I ain't got that kind of dough. I got to go all the way to town, spend my whole life savings, Jesus, just to buy these people that I don't even know dinner. And we know from the account in John that what was present, a little boy who had his what? His lunch. The only one that came prepared. (laughs) And I could just imagine him sitting over there. <laughs> yep, 25,000 of y'all, but I ain't going hungry. Mama taught me well. I'm going to go over here and snack on my little sardines and my little bread. I'm going to break bread. And Philip was like, oh, no, you ain't. Snatched it from the little boy. Everybody's like, and this little boy, you know, brought his lunch to Jesus. Here, feed everyone. Yeah, right. That little boy's probably over there in the corner about to chow down. And the disciple was like, shoot, give me that. Don't say nothing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's what really happened. Because that little boy, he's not thinking about the multitude. He was like, yeah, that's right. It helps to be prepared. (laughs) I'm going to eat. He's over there Instagramming this thing. Hashtag only one. Hashtag five loves two fish. Hashtag they think they're going to get it. Hashtag filet fish You understand what I'm saying? So the... (laughs) I don't know where I get this stuff. So... So Luke is the historian. Of the four Gospels, Luke is the one to just give the details that matter. So Luke doesn't really care about the boy. Do you see this? John was the man that was closest to Jesus. John was like all about the believer and the love that he has. He's such a beautiful writer. And the little boy with the five loaves and two fish. Luke is like, come on, man. There was five loaves and two fishes that were present. And that's what Jesus used to feed the multitude, okay? Luke doesn't even mention the fact that there was a boy there. But the point is, is we know from the feeding of the 5,000, I'm going quick, that there was a boy with a lunch, five loaves and two fish, or vice versa, whatever. So Jesus tells them, Split everyone up into into camps of 50. 
I just think that we need to understand this. If we are letting Jesus do the work and we are just vicariously the instruments, the hands and feet of the church, we have to stop focusing on the big problems and putting it in bite-sized pieces that we can handle. You're only one person. You're only one, I'm going to say it again. You're only one person. Yes, He gave you a really big Holy Spirit God in your heart to do some really big things, but you have to understand your limitations, not His. And when it comes to doing ministry work, we started off this talk with rest. The resilience should be, I'm going to bounce back, but I'm going to focus on my next step. I'm not going to focus on the mountain that i got to climb. I think Christians really, they, they miss that there. He said, guys, break them up into smaller camps. Smaller groups that are manageable. And he's there, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense, Jesus. Of course it does. Let's just, let's not worry about the 10-year plan yet. It's there. It's good to have one. But what are we going to do what? Tomorrow. What are we going to do, better yet, today? Take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take thought, Matthew says what? For itself. Church. Calm down. It's going to be okay. He sees the problem. He knows about it. Just break it down into manageable sections. The second thing, oh my goodness, this is so, I mean, this is like, this is some spiritual sushi. We, I think we've coined that term here. This is some good stuff right here. Are you ready for it? If <laughs> I had a coffee the other night at Medici's. Let me tell you something. It was one of the best coffees, and she's here tonight. I think You made that, didn't you? She made it. Uh, anybody have been to Medici's on the Avenue? No? You need to go. And you need to have her fix your coffee. And it was fantastic. Um, but if, if, if Scripture was a coffee, it would be that coffee that you made for me. <laughs> it was really good. So here, here's, here's what we have to understand. We break down our, our massive thing that God wants us to do. We break it down into manageable pieces. I'm going to give you a little hint. You ready? Biblical principle works for things at work, too. Okay, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Just in case you needed free work advice, this works for work, too. This works for marriage. This works for child rearing. This works for practical things, watching the way Jesus handles things. Just so you know. Okay, I'm done with that. Watch this. Verse 16, I love this. Then he took five loaves and two fishes, looking up to heaven, blessed. What's the next word? Them. I'm I'm about to get excited. He blessed them and break and gave to the disciples. Listen to this, church. (laughs) Gratitude. Don't miss this. Gratitude and prayer for what you already have will lead you into stewarding things that you never dreamed about. Do you understand that? Gratitude and prayer for what you currently have is going to lead you into stewarding things you never even dreamed about. How many of you want God to give you more? More of, it could be anything. How many want God to give you more grace? Come on, you're half asleep. How many of you want God to give you more money? Ooh, everybody's like, yeah! Just trying to get your attention. How many of you want God to give you more forgiveness? How many of you want God to give you peace? Watch this. Have you been grateful? 
Have you been grateful for the peace that He's already given you? Have you prayed for the forgiveness that He's already given you? I, I mean, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I really am. but The faith of a grain of what? Will move a mountain. Jesus took the bread that was currently there. He took the fish that was currently there on the scene of the crime. You understand what I'm saying? And He blessed that bread. And He breaked that bread. What does break mean? Why did He break the bread? Somebody tell me. Huh? To share it. We break bread because we're going to give it to somebody else. That's why when people say, let's go break bread, that means let's go share a meal. God is waiting on us to thank Him for what He has already given us. God is waiting on us to share what He has already given to us. Why haven't we had those moments where we have been fed, where those around us have been fed? Why haven't we had those moments where in worship we are completely covered in God's love? Because you haven't thanked Him for the love that He's already given you. You haven't broken that love and handed it to somebody else and said, thank you God for giving me this peace. I'm going to give this person a piece of that peace. You have to thank God for what He's given you. The five loaves and two fishes. Jesus knew exactly what to do with it. Oh my goodness. Oh, if we knew exactly what to do with what He's given us. How many are just waiting for breakthrough? Anybody here want breakthrough? Only three of you? Who wants breakthrough in their lives? In whatever you're praying about, if you want breakthrough, if you want things to be multiplied, look at what you already have. The only time He took something from nothing was creation. And when He created you, He put a measure of faith inside of you. And He said, let's see how you're going to steward that. Let's see how thankful you are for the personality that I gave you. Let's see how much you pray and show gratitude. He thanked God. He blessed what He had. If we would stop praying for something that we don't have and start praying for what we do have, we would get something that we don't have. Take that to the spiritual bank. I mean it. I feel like I'm talking to somebody that's dead. Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? You gotta go inside. You gotta pray and you gotta thank him. Thank you for what you gave me. I understand it's tough. I understand that you're hungry and that everybody else wants a piece of you. Oh, my children, just give, 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 give. All they do is tick, 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 tick. It'd be something if you were just going. We were designed to give things away, not to keep things. That's how we're designed. I love you guys. Do you understand? I I, I feel like I should just sit right there. God is waiting on us to share what he's already given us. He made sure that his disciples were cared for. Verse 17, there were 12 baskets left over. Any coincidence? Yes or no? No. No. He takes care of his own. In this principle of thanking God for what you have, breaking it, which means I'm going to give it away, God shows that he's going to what? Bring it back to you. He commands it in Luke. 
We automatically go to the financial end. Don't let your mind go there right away. I'm talking about your spiritual health. I'm talking about your heart. Why do I know that that's where Jesus is going with this? Because he goes there. John 6, 26 through 35. Do you have that in there, Jose? John 6, 26 through 35. Jesus answered, we're going to read this quickly. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. Church, the context of this passage is all of those people that were fed, the feeding of the 5,000, they come looking for him again. Okay, Just like they found him in the desert place, they continued to press him for something. Watch. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. He going there, the heart, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Verse 28, then said they unto them, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye what? Believe on him whom he hath sent. Verse, 20, verse 30, they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then? What may we see? And believe thee. And doest thou work? And dost thou work? Our fathers did eat, watch this, manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, I love this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave not that bread from heaven, but my father gave you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from the heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said unto you, Lord, evermore give us this what? Bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the... O Son, he that cometh to me shall never... He that believeth on me shall never... Church. Is there one more? No. I think that's it. Listen to me. (laughs) I can't remember. I'm walking away from my notes. No, that's it. Jesus states to those that were a part of the feeding, they were only there because they were concerned with the physical bread. They missed the miracle for the food. See, the issue at hand was their hunger, but Jesus' issue was with their what? So I'm speaking to the disciples right now. And I'm trying to help you, church. It's not about what you think you don't have. It's about what you do have. And it's about accepting what you do have in such a way that it becomes real. You see, they said, give us a sign. Our fathers were given manna. What were they wanting? Physical food. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something. It wasn't Moses that gave them manna. It was my Father. And my Father is going to give you bread for eternity and give you everlasting water for eternity. And you're staring at the source of it. So, where do you fit today? Is your image, your identity as a Christian, only found as a Christ follower as long as you're being fed? I follow Jesus everywhere. Because he takes care of me. (laughs) Is that what you're after? The bread? Or are you after the bread of life? 
they missed the miracle. Let me ask you this question. How do you know if you've missed the miracle? Back in our text, verse 20, just a few short, just a, just a short period of time after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus goes back after that conversation with those wanting physical bread. Here's what he says. He said unto them, to his disciples, Whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. The disciples understood. And Jesus said, Don't tell anybody because they're going to they're gonna send me to the cross. I must die. I must go to the cross and suffer for all, all mankind. But I want you to understand, don't, don't miss this. But I want you to understand this, don't miss this. That the disciples understood that He was the bread of life. He was the one that was going to give them all things of the kingdom. So let me ask you this. The bread of life... The bread or the bread of life? Which one? The red pill or the blue pill? If you watch The Matrix. <laughs> Do you want to live in such a way that I don't care? I don't really care what happens with the world as long as my four walls are good. I, I don't really... <laughs> no, don't tell me! I don't want to know what's going on. I don't really care as long as I'm going to heaven, as long as my kids are going to heaven... You're spiritually the multitude. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I got this down. What did those people look like who said, I want the bread of life, not the bread. I want the miracle, not the food. Those people were the people who were able to identify who Jesus really was. Are you still asking yourself how Jesus can improve your life? Or is Jesus your life? That's the question today. Are you still asking Jesus to improve your life? Or has Jesus become your life? If Jesus is your life, you'll give it all away as He deems fit. If Jesus is aiding your life, you'll be very careful with who you break bread with. You'll be very selective. I'm not sensing the resilience to bounce back and go reach a lost and dying world. Maybe the greatest question you'll ever be asked. Are you just looking for Jesus to improve your life? Or is Jesus your life? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have a very brief invitation because I want to go right into communion. So, fellas, if you could, just go ahead and we'll incorporate this in the invitation. It's very fitting for us to take communion today, right? Because he took the bread and break it. He took the wine and drank it. What does that mean? Everybody just settle down. Sit there in your seats and bow your head and close your eyes and just think about this for a second. I know we all got roasts in the crock pot. Some are staying for a sandwich. I don't know. Wherever you're landing. What's important right now is this. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your life? Or is he just improving your life? I would ask you today, 
Make him your life. Make him your everything. If our identity is found in Jesus, then you'll make it. You'll understand it. Here's what I would ask. If you're saved, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, hit the reset button on that today. When we take communion, we need to understand that we need to take it worthily. What does that mean? It means you're putting things in order in your life. Have you taken your eye off the miracle and put your eyes on the bread? Let's reverse that. If you have unconfessed sin in your heart, that will prevent you from doing that. If you're sitting there today and you say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. Pray for me. I I, I want to confess. I want to be in right standing with Jesus. Help Help me to just get to the point, Pastor Matt, where there's nothing between me and Jesus. Here's my hand. Nothing between me and Jesus. If that's you, and that's your prayers, where do you go? I want to pray for you. Raise your hand if you need prayer this morning for that. Awesome. If you need prayer for that. All right, if you're there in your seat, just confess right there. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry where I failed you. I'm sorry that I've got my eye off of the miracle and onto the bread. Help me to keep that straight. Help me to keep that priority. Let me ask you this. As you're praying, as you're doing that hard work this morning, when was the last time you thanked God for what He gave you? When was the last time you thanked Him for your salvation? You thanked Him for the grace that He gave you. Can you thank Him right now? Right there in your seat. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Tell Him, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for grace. When was the last time you thanked him for that forgiveness that he gave you? Thank him right there. Say, thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness that you gave me. I hope you feel it this morning. When was the last time you shared that with someone else? We're going to share his body, his blood this morning in communion. But when was the last time you shared it with someone else that's lost, that doesn't understand and know Jesus? Think about that this morning. As you're praying, as you're preparing your heart for the Lord, if you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Matt, everything you said was was okay, it's cool, but I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If I died right now, I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know 100% sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know Jesus like that. Could you pray for me, Pastor Matt? Can you pray for me? Here's my hand. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. Here's my hand. Will you pray for me, Pastor Matt? I just want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up and put it down if that's you and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. By our testimony, we've all trusted Him 